All right, football fans, NFL fans, welcome back to another NFL Whip Round. I am Jeff Hartman, joined by Coach KT Smith. Coach, what's going on? Nothing. Uh, hey, I gotta. Ask, I'm gonna start right out of the gate with a quick question because okay. I meant I meant to ask this before the show and I forgot <laughs> to ask it. And I want maybe our, our our listeners would like to know the answer. Do you know we are recording this on Monday night? Yeah. There's two Monday night football games. Yes. This this Monday night. Do you know why that what that that is? I don't know. Is there a reason why? Do you know? I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just I as I literally as we went on, I looked and I saw that and I was like, oh, why are why are we playing two Monday night football games at the same time this Monday night? Yeah, that that's not the first time that that ESPN has done that. They they did okay. that earlier this year where they it just seems like they're eating away at their own product. And that was yeah. when I want to say it was when Pittsburgh was on. Yes, it was when the Steelers and Browns were on Monday night football, because I remember yelling at the TV, <laughs> get this freaking game off my screen because it was like the saints and the Panthers maybe. And I'm like, I don't want to see the saints and Panthers. If I wanted to watch that game, I would have it on my TV. So I don't know what the, the premise is. Like I know this upcoming weekend that's when college football is done. So the NFL always fills some Saturday spots. That makes sense. Yeah. This, I have no idea. Okay. All right. <laughs> no idea. Well, 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 hey, man, how are you? I'm sorry to hit I'm you with good. that. Right no, now. that's I'm fine. Good, but, you, know. you know, I used to love the doubleheader. If you recall back in 2020, now, yeah, I guess it was 2020. Ben Roethlisberger's coming off of his elbow surgery. If you recall, they had a, they have the doubleheader. The Steelers played the Giants in the first game, and then they had a West Coast game at like. I think what time did that start? 10 or 9 30 or something. It worked yeah. out great. Like they didn't, they overlapped a little bit, but it wasn't like what it is now. I don't understand that. Right. But, all right. Welcome to the show, coach. Hope you're in the festive holiday spirit as we're getting closer to Christmas. And with that means that the NFL season is starting to wind down, which is sad, but it's also exciting because week 14 is in the books. Obviously we don't know the Monday nighters, how they're playing out, but the marquee game this week was, Philly at Dallas and for the Philly fans, which you're around a lot of those people every day, they've got to be down in the dumps because their team just got waxed by the, uh, as Pez calls them, the cockroaches down there in Dallas. Uh, what do you think this was more of a result of the Cowboys that are really getting hot at the right time or the Eagles just struggling with the tough slate of games? Well, first of all, at our lunch table uh, at work, Pez is a, a part of that. There's about, <laughs> seven or eight of us, all of whom are Eagles fans, except for me. And that was not a festive environment today. There was <laughs> there were, I bet, there I bet. not a lot of jovial conversation in that group. But to answer the question, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I'm, I'm a big skeptic when it comes to the Cowboys. I, I'm really a let's let's see improve it before I believe in them. They, I believe this is correct. I think Dallas has won four playoff games since 1995 when they won their last Super Bowl. Oh, they, nice. They're they're being hyped up every year it seems, and then every year they seem to underperform or not be able to deliver uh, when playoff time rolls around. But I have to say this: I think this is the best I've seen Dallas play in a long, long time. I mean they they've got tremendous skill players. And Dak Prescott is playing some great football right now. Man, he's got such a good offensive line. In that Eagles game the other night, uh, he sat in that pocket about as comfortable as could be against one of the best pass rushes in the NFL and was able to just kind of thread the, the needle. And so when he's playing like that, the line's playing like that, everybody knows that the defense is really good. I think Dallas is going to be a, a tough out. So I, where, where are you on this? Cowboys are like a Jekyll and Hyde team to me. 
they, they play so different on the at home compared to on the road. So they're 10 and three. And right now I believe they have the tiebreaker over Philly, maybe for first place in the NFC East. They're all behind Francisco no matter what. But when you look at the Cowboys, I mean, when, when they are away from home, they just don't play as well. And so I think that's a big deal. I think that really does matter because when I think about this playoffs, the, the way it's shaping up, that's what this is about, right? I mean, this is about playoff seeding. This is that's what this is. Everyone wants to talk about like it's more than just the week 14 result. It's way more than that. The San Francisco 49ers don't look like they're going to get rid of that number one seed. And so if that's the case, which one of these teams is best suited to go into San Francisco and beat them? And which team is more suited to go on the road in general and win a playoff game? I don't know. That's a, that's the question that I wanted to see if you had an answer for. Which one of these is a battle-tested team that can say, you know what, we can go on the road, we can win a game. Dallas has proven it at home. I have questions with them going outside of Jerry World. Yeah, I, I'm, I think it's Philadelphia. Again, I'll believe Dallas when I see it. The, I, the Eagles right now are at the end of an absolutely brutal stretch of football. Their last five games, mm-hmm. it's been Dallas, Buffalo, Kansas City, uh San Francisco and Dallas again. That's a brutal stretch of football. And then and then next week they got to go all the way to the West Coast to play at Seattle. But then the last three weeks they end up with the Giants, Arizona, and the Giants again. So I think Philadelphia will have an opportunity maybe to get themselves right before the postseason. And if they have to go to San Francisco, I think they'll give them a better game than Dallas will. Again, Dallas playing great football right now, but I'm I'm going to believe it when I see it in the playoffs. Well, let, let's talk about this for a second. Are, are the Eagles a little bit of fool's gold here? So who did they beat that is considered a legitimate playoff team? There's a couple. I'm not saying there's none. You, they beat the Dolphins 31-17. to They beat the Cowboys 28-23. But if you think back to that game, I mean, Dallas really shot themselves in the foot with Dak Prescott running out of bounds and doing some really stupid stuff. The Chiefs, maybe they're not what they were. I mean, they were hanging on for dear life against the Bills. And in that game went to overtime, obviously I, you say that you're not a believer in the Cowboys each week. I believe less and less in the Eagles as well. And it, maybe it's Jalen hurts. It doesn't look like he's right. I know he's banged up. He's got that knee injury. I'm not sure if that's 100% or if it ever will be. I don't know if we'll know this until the playoffs come, but this is, this is a strange, strange stretch of games. And what does Dallas have coming up? Do you have their schedule in front of you? If not, I can look it up quick. Uh, I don't have those. I know that they've got I Buffalo got this coming week. I got it. They got Buffalo, Miami, Detroit, and Washington. Well, that's that's not easy. No, it's not. So this is going to be really, really interesting to where this ends up. Do you agree, though, that San Francisco's kind of got a stranglehold on that number one seed? Oh, yeah. I, I think they look fantastic, and I'll be shocked if they lose. But this is a season that has taught us – to uh, expect the unexpected. I have to say, Jeff, I'm disappointed in your your comments on the Eagles because if you've learned anything from Mike Tomlin, Jeff, style points don't matter. Who's got four better wins? They've beaten Miami, Buffalo, Kansas City, and Dallas. I yeah. don't know if anybody in the leagues and, – and granted, you're right. Some of those games, they they survived you know, by a thread, but they were able to win those four. I, I think they're worn down right now against this grind of a schedule. If there's one area where Philadelphia, I think, should really be concerned, for me, it's not on the offensive side, it's the defensive side. I think that they've they've kind of been exposed a little bit, 42 points to San Francisco, 33 to the Cowboys. 
Uh, their linebackers are not great. They've got that that great defensive line and some great corners, but they're a little weak at the safety and linebacker position. I think teams are figuring out how to take advantage of that. Yeah, I was, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Nick Bosa of the 49ers who said to Dallas, gave you the blueprint. All you got to do is follow it. And it's like, wow, it's a pretty damning statement. That you yeah. did it that way. That's a pretty yeah. damning statement. But that's not really the game everyone was talking about this uh, this morning, Monday, around the water cooler, at your case, the lunch table with all the Eagles fans. I'm sure that a topic of conversation was this Buffalo-Kansas City finish where Travis Kelsey looks like he pulls off this incredible lateral to Kadarius Toney. You think it's the go-ahead touchdown. There's still some time remaining. Buffalo has timeouts. Of course, we don't know how that game would have played out. Why? Kadarius Tony was lined up offsides and they called it. And after the game, Patrick Mahomes threw a temper tantrum that would make any three-year-old proud. And it, it, he, he really did. That was a bad look. I'll say this right off the bat before you even go, coach. I didn't like Patrick Mahomes. I have Patrick Mahomes fatigue. I'm sick of seeing him on State Farm commercials. I'm sick of seeing him with Troy Polamalu on Head and Shoulders commercials. I'm sick of Patrick Mahomes. Just flat out sick of him. Then, like Josh Allen, he's still he's shaking his hand at midfield, and he's like, "That was the worst ever call." It's like, dude, you just lost. Like, can you suck it up for a bit and then take it out in the locker room and break some stuff? I don't care. What was your take on this? Because even Andy Reid was piling on after the game and complaining about the call. Well, to quote uh, to quote Legs Grimley, who Pe- who Pez brings up a lot on your podcast. Who, yeah, who was sitting at our table? He's parlay like, legs, parlay legs. That's right. <laughs> By the way, he lost every one of his parlays this, this weekend. So. Uh, yeah, Legs Grimley said, uh, yeah, I didn't see uh, Mahomes real sympathetic towards the Eagles when, when they got that bogus pass interference call that, that helped them win the Super Bowl last year. Yep. I have no sympathy for what Patrick Mahomes was spouting off about. My God, the Chiefs' argument was that the ref didn't warn us that our player was lined up offsides, egregiously offsides, by yes. the way. He's like, I mean, he his almost his entire body's in front of the football. How do you not know to move back? And you're relying on the on the referee to do it for you. And then I heard Gene Steratore, who's, you know, the, the ref who always comes on and tries to justify all these terrible calls. Yes. But I heard him say, well, if if the receiver had simply looked over at the official, the official would have told him to move back, but he never checked. And the official's not going to yell to him, you're offsides. <laughs> if you check with the official, he'll tell you. So how do you how do you like legitimately make the case like, oh, we committed a penalty, but they didn't tell us ahead of time that it was a penalty. Uh, and so we got gypped. I, I don't. Believe, I'm not buying that. Only in Kansas City with the prima donnas that are the Kansas City Chiefs, where everything just you just feel like everything is handed to them on a silver platter. Would they complain about the officiating when it was the player that made the mistake? This wasn't a judgment call. He was clearly offsides. Look! Oh my gosh! I need to back up. And yes, you do see this. I remember Antonio Brown would do this every time he lined up out wide. He'd turn over and go, "My good." He just hope he's put his hand and then the official yeah. would maybe say like, yeah, go back a little bit, but the officials yeah. don't have to do that either. Like that's not part of their job. No, they're doing it as a courtesy. They tell us again, high school, but it's the same in the pros. They tell us every game, right? When the officials meet with the coaches, tell your wide receivers to check us and we'll, we'll let them know if they're, if they're on, on or off. So I, it just, to me, it just screams of, I'm not going to take ownership for the fact that we lost this game. Because let's not talk about the turnovers or some of the poor plays and the, the the missed opportunities that weren't this one play. Like a game, a football game doesn't boil down to one play. Joe Gibbs famously said it can be boiled down to four or five, but not just one, Coach. Like this just screams crying over spilled milk, doesn't it? A hundred percent. 
I don't know. Maybe Mahomes was upset because he was having a reflective moment. He was thinking, maybe if I didn't take all the money, we could still afford a couple wide receivers. Because <laughs> I'm <laughs> sick and tired of Kadarius Tony. Uh, he's got to be. He's got to be frustrated. Yeah, but it's a shame though. I, as much as I, as much as I don't have any sympathy for the Chiefs, it's a shame that that play will be wiped out because what what an amazing play by Travis Kelsey. What what incredible awareness in that moment. He threw a dime. He hit him on. He hit yeah. him on the run too. You know, so uh, it just uh, it, it was a spectacular effort on his part. Interesting that it came right in the wake of the uh, of of Frank Whitecheck dying. Yeah, uh, because Frank Whitecheck, uh, if you remember, threw the famous Music City Miracle. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the 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 throwback pass to, to Kevin Dyson that helped them uh, beat Buffalo in that playoff game way back when. So. Home run throwback. That's why our Titans, yeah, our Titans podcast feed is called Home Run Throwback. That was the name of the play that they called that play, the throwback, the miracle. Uh, yeah, man, that was crazy. But yeah, RIP to Frank Wycheck, by the way. But yeah, this, the whole Patrick Mahomes thing, and and everyone's chiming in. And here's what I don't like: you have these analysts like Dan Orlovsky, Ryan Clark. They're like they shouldn't have thrown the flag because it had nothing to do with the play. Well, I'm sorry. It's a rule for a reason, right? So if you if you go through a school zone at 55 miles an hour, and the speed limit is 25, and you get pulled over, and you say, well, I didn't see any kids. It doesn't matter if you didn't see kids. It's a law that when you drive by a school, you got to slow down. It's the same premise for me. It's just I, I don't understand why people want to make these excuses just because a great play was nullified. I don't like that at all. I'm sure you don't coach your kids that way in high school. Any final thoughts on this, Coach? Well, I, that argument's so bogus, too, because that flag gets thrown right as the ball snapped. Yeah. I mean, how does he know, how does he know if Tony's going to be part of the play or not? He doesn't know. He throws that. He literally throws that play at the snap because yeah. that's when the infraction occurs. Yeah, it's not like it's post-play that all of a sudden he's like, oh, yeah, I forgot that he was offsides and throws a flag. And then Andy Reid piling on doesn't help. Um, bad look for the Chiefs. I, for once, I'm backing the officials. Can we mark the tape, please? That Jeff is <laughs> yeah. supporting the oh, fourteen-minute mark, right there. <laughs> Jeff Hartman just supported the uh, the officiating, but nonetheless, we don't want to spend a ton of time on that. Let's go to the New York Jets, of course. The New York Jets. Zach Wilson, who gets reinstated as the the starter again. I feel like this guy's been back and forth more than anyone else in the league. He throws for three hundred yards. And the four and eight Jets routed the eight and four Texans 30 to six. CJ Stroud left with a concussion. That is notable. And then the Bears upset the Lions. Which one of these did you find more surprising? For me, it was the Jets game. I, I, you know, Detroit had to go into Chicago. We know as AFC North fans, it's hard to win division games on the road. Uh, there would have been times when the Steelers were the much better team and they'd go into Cleveland or Cincinnati. Well, actually they never lost with Roethlisberger at quarterback there, but you know, <laughs> you, you, you would, you would see though uh, in division games on the road that these upsets occur at times, but for a red hot Houston team in the thick of the playoff race to go to New York amidst the, the just the disaster that that uh, situation has become, I mean, Zach Wilson, like, there were stories out earlier in the week. He didn't even want to play. He did, they had to almost like talk him back into re-entering the lineup because Tim Boyle was so bad uh, and that Zach Wilson was mentally checked out and that he had anxiety. And, and then all of a sudden he goes out there and has this monster day. I mean, Stroud left with the concussion, but that wasn't until late. That was in the fourth quarter. Yeah. That game was, that game was over. So 
I, I don't know how the Jets did it. I haven't really looked at any film on that game. I, I'm not sure, sure what they did to help Zach Wilson. I don't know. Maybe he just played with the like the screw it mentality. What do I got to lose mentality? Who knows? Maybe. Maybe but the, the Jets defense has, has been really good all year, though. And they yeah. did stymie that Houston offense when Stroud was healthy and in the line. But I got to say, it's to me, it's Detroit. Because Detroit was a team that was on that. They were on the fringe of the top four in the NFC vying for that number one seed. And there were the Detroit fans who were like, well, wait a second. Don't forget about us. Everyone's talking about the Cowboys, the Eagles, and the 49ers. But don't forget about the Detroit Lions. And okay, we'll give you some respect. You cannot lose a game in Chicago to Justin Fields when everything, if you have hopes of that one playoff, number one seed, the first round by, you cannot lose a game in Chicago like that. Like there's so much on the line there. And this is why you go back all the way to the very first episode. I think we ever did. I said, I'm not a, I'm not a believer in Jared Goff. You take him out of the dome. I just don't think he's that good. You put him in the elements I'm just, I'm just not a buyer into Detroit Lions. That's your son's team. He's probably disappointed. <clears throat> he was, and that game was on here locally, so we watched a good amount of that. I gotta say, Justin Fields played really well. Yeah, uh, he 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 avoided the big turnovers, which are the things that have been killing him. Uh, he, he when he gets out of the pocket, he's scary good. He's not Lamar Jackson, but he's not that far behind. I mean, uh, and then obviously that you know defensively, Chicago. We took a page out of the Steelers book by bending, not breaking the, the lions went up and down the field, but couldn't, couldn't convert anything. So it, it was a good recipe, good win for the bears. I, I don't know. The bears fans want them to win that game. They've got Carolina's pick. So yeah. I guess that doesn't, you know, and they've got their own, they, they're looking at maybe two top five picks. I don't know how far down the standings they want to fall, but they've kind of gotten hot here. One, one, two out of their last three. Well, Justin Fields is playing for his future with the Chicago Bears organization. There was a lot of talk of him being shipped away, maybe for draft capital in the offseason. We'll see. But real quick, before we leave the Jets, did you see the the report that Aaron Rodgers might be medically cleared and he might play this season? Why in the hell would he play when the team's four and eight? Like, it makes no sense to me why you would do that. But do you think he will? Ego, ego, (laughs) right? I I came back from a from a torn Achilles and. In the same season, I, it just I, I I would I think it's crazy because what the the risk is so outweighs the reward. Okay, yeah. he comes back and he plays really well, and people go, "Hey, wow, Aaron Rodgers, great." I mean, what what's beyond that? You know, they're not going to make the playoffs, and he's not going to set any any records by coming back. So why not just make sure you're healed up? Well, let me grab my tinfoil hat real quick and put it on. Uh-huh. So okay. my conspiracy is I don't think he ruptured his Achilles completely. Because I've I've been I've been a part of helping people rehab that before I got my teaching job I was a full time personal trainer that is such a difficult surgery and difficult rehabilitation and I know there's advanced there's been advancements in that realm I I don't see any way that that is humanly possible. But what would the benefit of faking it be? What would the the what attention would the need for the, the attention? He loves attention. He loves people talking about him. You know, it's it's that I think that's what it's all about with him. He wants that. He craves that. Mm, I got. I'm gonna have to ponder that one. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't if you love the? You're in New York. You're go go play lights out football. That would get you more attention. Oh, than anything he injured it. I don't think he ruptured it. Okay. So he did have to rehab. But a guy that goes here's here's the the thing about Aaron Rodgers for me, a dude that does a 
a dark retreat. Now, I've, I've actually heard about this stuff because I, I'm into that kind of hippie realm as well. I've heard of this stuff. Most people that go on dark retreats, they don't talk about it. Like you go there to find yourself in darkness and then you leave a better person. Then you go on with your life and you're like, okay, I'm going to take this next step forward in the light and I'm going to be better off for it. And he feels the need to go on Pat McAfee and tell the whole world. And he's talking about all his trips that he does where he's, you know, doing mushrooms and smoking. Lord knows what good for you, man. I don't care, but you're doing it because you want people to talk about you. We know his battle with the pharmaceutical companies and him and Travis Kelsey. He loves attention coach. That's what it's all about with him. Oh, it's exhausting. It right, really is. <laughs> I love conspiracies, man. Okay. Let's get to the fourth one. The AFC playoff picture is insane. Six teams are seven and six fighting for two spots of those six teams. This is going to, this is going to basically, I wrote this for steel curtain network.com on Monday. A lot of this is going to filter itself out. The Steelers and Colts play this Saturday. Then the Steelers and Bengals play the following week. But you also have the Texans, Broncos, Bengals, and Bills. You know how, how do you see this all panning out here, Coach? If you had to pick right now, right? So, I I think the Bills uh, are going to get in. I mean, they've got a tough schedule. They play Dallas. Uh, and then but then they've got the Chargers in New England winnable games and they end on the road in Miami. But I just think they're the most talented team. And I and in a situation like this, uh, coming off a big win in Kansas City, it feels like that might be the thing that gets Buffalo back on track. They went through a hell week last week with the Sean McDermott 9-11 stuff. Oh, gosh. And, right. The, 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 the domestic issue with, with yep. Von Miller and all that. And then they got the big win. And that might be that thing that brings – that team together, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. I'm I'm I am far from a uh, an I told you so guy because I am terrible at predicting things when it comes to the NFL. But I remember probably five six weeks ago we were talking about what what team could come out of out you know rise from the ashes and, exactly and, what you're gonna say yeah and surprise people and I said well look out for the Broncos and and I really think that they're gonna make make the playoffs. I look at their schedule; they got a tough one with Detroit. Uh, but, you know, Detroit's coming off a bad loss. And then they close with New England, the Chargers, and Las Vegas. It won't shock me at all if Denver goes 3-1, and one, finishes 10-7, and seven, and makes the playoffs. What a turnaround that would be. Like, that's that would be remarkable if they did that. Now, come on now, Coach. I mean, the Steelers. Like, come on, Coach. We got we to gotta give them some love here. Hold on, I hold mean, on. I would love to. I would love Hey. <laughs> Nothing would be more Mike Tomlin than right when you have them dead to rights, they rise from the ashes, find ways to win these ugly ass games and find themselves back in the playoff position. I'm going to say this right now. I, I I'm going to say that the week 18 game against the Ravens is going to be completely meaningless for Baltimore. I think they're going to already locked up the number one seed. They're probably going to be resting old Lamar. Doesn't mean anything that matters for the Steelers. I think the Steelers, beat the Colts, beat the Bengals at home in their regular season home finale. And then it's just that Seahawks game that you got to worry yourself with. Don't count out the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm a, I'm a Homer. I'm an open Homer. I've always been a Homer with the Steelers, but I just don't think you can, you can rule them out just yet because I think they're, they still have a lot, but the, what we're not talking about is the eight and five Browns, the eight and five Browns. So everyone's not talking about them because they're eight and five. Listen to who they have left the Bears, the Texans, the Jets, and then the Bengals. You putting Joe Flacco and the Browns in the postseason for sure, Coach? Yeah. 
Yeah. I, Joe I mean, Flacco. Look, Joe Flacco. I will, again, I want to be a hundred percent wrong. I want you to be a hundred percent right. Obviously I want the Steelers in the playoffs and the Browns out, but Cleveland's defense is so good. That schedule is not daunting by any stretch that, no. you know, they probably only have to win two of those games to get in uh, 10 and seven will probably do it with everybody else. And they kind of like, you know, eating each other up. Um, it just feels as though what Flacco's done for them is stabilize the play at the quarterback position. He He's not what, – what does Joe Flacco have to do? He has to not turn the ball over. He's got to make a handful of plays a game when the running game is set up passing opportunities. And maybe every once in a while they need him to convert a third and seven by, by making a really nice throw, something along those lines. I think he can probably do that. He can probably do that with that defense against that schedule. It will not – I will I will be uh, – Surprised that they don't make it, to be quite honest. That defense has surrendered 36 and 27 points the last two weeks. And that was to the Rams and the Jaguars. So they're a little banged up. We know Miles Garrett isn't 100%. Denzel Ward missed last game, the cornerback. So we'll see. This AFC playoff picture, like I said, if the Steelers lose on Saturday to the Indianapolis, they're basically done. Because Indianapolis is one of those seven and six teams as well. So if they win their next two, well, they're they're jockeying themselves into position to make a run. We'll see. Um, don't sleep on the Steelers. All right, let's talk about this fifth one here, the fifth topic. We're bringing in some baseball talk. We're bringing in yeah. the baseball talk. I still can't believe we're doing this. But the L.A. Dodgers signed Shohei Otani over the weekend to a 10-year, $700 million contract, which the the details of this contract were released shortly before this show was recorded. And it's that Otani is basically being paid like $2 million a year. And he's deferring almost all of these payments, huge lump sum payment till the end of his contract. Nonetheless, you see 10 years, $700 million in baseball. That's guaranteed money. He will get that money no matter what. And so when you think about this largest contract in professional sports history, you know, in football, Patrick Mahomes has that contract 10 years, 450 million. What are your thoughts on these contracts? Are these players worth it? What do you? I mean, it's all just egregious to me. <laughs> like, it just feels so absurd. Uh, you and I talked before the show that this, you know, we, we may at some point on this show share some deeper thoughts on this, the <laughs> politics of it and things like that. Yes. I, you know, we'll see where we go with that. Uh, when you start talking about the median wage in the United States of America being somewhere in the 60,000s per year, and then athletes who make more than that for a single game, uh, it, it just feels absurd. I mean, on one hand, it's simple supply and demand. I mean, obviously, the market exists for it. Uh, the appetite from the American public is there. The American public is paying that salary I mean, mm-hmm. by, by the demand that exists. And so on, the, on that level, I mean, it's a capitalist system, right? You, you get, you, get uh, you know, a thing is worth whatever people are willing to pay for that thing. And so... In this instance, the American public's willing to pay uh, Otani seven hundred million, Mahomes four hundred fifty million, you know, and, and on down the line. Uh, I mean, on the other hand, I just I have such a hard time. It almost, I don't want to say it, it jades me towards the towards the sport itself. I mean, it's all relative uh, to whatever time period you're in, but I don't like to think about it because it, it pisses me off. It makes me feel like our priorities are so out of whack <laughs> as a society. Yeah. I mean, how many years would you and I have to teach? Well, to make a lot, 300 years to make that, you know, that salary for a dude who hits a baseball. 
And I, there's, and, and as much as I love it, as much as I'm what, you know, you and I are now doing this for a living. This is, this is one of the, we are some of the biggest consumers we, and we mm-hmm. love it. But at the same time, there's a, there's a moral conflict there. That's difficult to reconcile. I didn't need Shohei Otani's contract to make me realize that America's priorities are extremely out of whack. Let's get that <laughs> out of the way first, but let go back to, let's talk NFL. I'm going to bring up the contract I talked about before we went on the show in a second. It's not even in one of the big four major sports worlds that should be discussed. But what was the first contract? Let's see if you know this. The first contract in the NFL that had majority money, actually, I think it was close to 100% guaranteed, that people freaked out about. Do you remember who that athlete was? Probably not. No. It was Kirk Cousins signing an $80 million contract that was fully guaranteed, and people lost it. They lost it because it was Kirk Cousins, number one, and number two, because I can't believe he got fully guaranteed money. Because it used to be that you would see these lofty numbers, and then they're like, well, that athlete's not really going to get all of that. Like, they're not going to see all of that money. Right. Basketball, baseball, they see that money no matter what. That's a, There's a reason why Bobby Bonilla still gets paid, I don't know how many thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, like every June 1st because he's still getting paid the money that's owed him from the New York Mets. These numbers are ridiculous because that Shohei Atani is going to see that 700 million at some point. It might not be right away. The numbers might be skewed a little bit. And when you look at Deshaun Watson's $280 million contract, that's fully guaranteed. The Browns could cut him tomorrow, sign Joe Flacco to an extension, and he's going to get that money no matter what. That scares the hell out of NFL owners. What I'm looking for is when is this upfront money going to start to change? So I brought this up when we were texting each other before getting the show notes together. You were saying about this money contract, and I said, well, we need to talk about Live Golf. Yes, the Saudi-backed public investment fund, the PIF, who just signed John Rahm, the 2023 Masters champion, to a $566 million contract. But wait, there's more, like an infomercial, $302 million that is paid up front before he even swings a golf club in a live tournament, which is a shotgun format, three days, no cut. I don't care. $300 plus million up front, coach. That is insane amount of money, and it doesn't even include any purse winnings that he makes on live or in majors, which he still qualifies for. The money that these players, these athletes are getting is bonkers. But my question for you is simple. When will it ever stop or slow down? It won't. Exactly. Until, <laughs> until it becomes uh, unprofitable for, for the owners, which given the appetite that exists for all these sports is not going to occur anytime soon. Right. By the way, is that the same John Rahm who was like, I'll never go to the live tour. Oh uh, yeah. He's yeah. one of all these golfers that say that yeah. until they get the, the check is like flashed in front of their face. It's kind of like the, you know, I know you're not a Christmas guy, or at least I don't think you are, but it's a wonderful I'm, life. Why do you keep saying I'm a huge Christmas guy? Who's not a <laughs> so, Christmas guy? Come hey, on. so you know it's a wonderful life, right? You've seen the yeah, movie. Of course. Well, yes. you know, when Potter's got, he's got him in his office, and he goes, now, bad George, I'm going to pay you $20,000. And his cigar falls out of his mouth. And he's like, what, did you say $20,000? Yeah. That's what these guys are saying. Like, who's going to turn down $300 million up front? That's generational mind boggling money. If someone came to me and said, Jeff, I want you to podcast over here. I'm going to pay you 300 million. Kevin, it's been nice knowing you, man. I'll talk <laughs> hey, to you buddy. later. Yeah. I'll send you a couple hundred thousand as a thank you. Oh, yeah. As a well, parting gift. 
Well, it goes beyond, though. It goes beyond pros. I mean, there's a story now that Marvin Harrison Jr. may go back to Ohio State for his senior season. It might even be his redshirt junior season, whatever, but because he's got an NIL deal that oh, they God. think is going to pay him $23 million. And if he goes to the pros, he won't even make that on his on the entirety of his rookie contract. So 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 why why should he go to the pros? He gets to go back to college, you know, play for a team that's going to be in the national playoffs, you know, hang out, live the college life and get twenty three million dollars. That's insane. That's insane. Maybe that's the talking point that we have is, is this NIL stuff out of out of control because it, it used to be the guys couldn't wait to get to the league so they could make those millions. Now they're saying maybe I stay because I take a pay cut to go to the league. <laughs> <laughs> it's cr- that is insane yes when you put it in those terms yes <laughs> all right we, we we might do the whole uh the pif slash uh nba ties with some of these companies and entities overseas at another date we'll leave that for another date but in the meantime we want to do a player profile i can't talk about this guy. yeah so you want to <laughs> You want to talk about Joe Flacco, Mr. Let's Unibrow. Go Flacco. You want to talk oh, about man. Mr. Unibrow, the uh, Ernie, as I used to call him, Bert and Ernie. Uh, go ahead. You can talk about Joe Flacco. <laughs> well, listen, man, I'm trying to be true to the spirit of the show, right? This is a whip around. This is this is true. This is the NFL. And and as much as it, it pains you to admit this, me as well, Joe Flacco is a great story right now. Joe yeah. Flacco a month ago was sitting on his couch, 38 years old. You know, his career was over. Uh, and then the Browns come calling. And when I read that the Browns signed Joe Flacco, I said to myself, oh, they are cooked. They are done. They're in desperation mode. He's going to stand back there in the pocket like a statue and get absolutely annihilated. And yet, here, here they are, uh, kind of back from the dead. They've won their last couple of games. He's playing really good football. He's, he's playing well. And they're eight and five. And like we just talked about, in the, in the thick of the playoff race and uh, and and I again, I'd be surprised if they if they don't make it. I just I I wonder why some teams and I don't know the answer to this. And this is another great thing for us to consider down the road. Why have some teams been able to take their backup quarterback, or in this instance, take a guy off the couch, plug him into their system, and have him see success? You look at like Cincinnati with Jake Browning, and that guy's playing lights out, lights out football. Uh, their offense hasn't missed a beat really with him in there in replace of uh, Joe Burrow. Yet in other situations, like with the Jets or with our Steelers, the quarterback situation is a mess. It doesn't seem to matter who you put in there, uh, and, and it's just bad. You know what's being taught there? How are some teams able to integrate these new guys into their systems and help them find success, and others? Or not that kind of be worth an investigation on our part. Absolutely, it would be my my first my gut instinct when you ask that question is that they have a good system in place. Talk about the Jets, not a good system. Steelers, ditto. You talk about the fact that PJ Walker of the Cleveland Browns was the one that gave the San Francisco 49ers their first loss. And PJ Walker, he got cut by the team for Joe Flacco. By the way, the dude's unemployed right now. And the Browns. He- the Browns have yeah. won games this year with four different quarterbacks. Yeah, DTR won games too. Like he beat the Steelers. Yeah. So it's it one of those things it. where they have the system. Cincinnati has that system. It, it, you just have to have the quarterback that's capable of making the throws. For Pittsburgh and New York, it's the two teams you brought up, I don't even know if they have any of the quarterbacks that can make the throws. Obviously, New York has Aaron Rodgers. The Steelers don't have any. There you go. So I think it's the system. You have to have a guy that's semi-capable, and you can make it happen. So that's crazy. 
Joe Flacco. Of all the people, Joe Flacco. Good Lord. <laughs> I, I thought I was done talking about that guy last year when he screwed up, screwed the Steelers' odds of getting into the playoffs. But no, here he is. He's back in the freaking division. Well, he looks a little bit like Lurch from the Adams family. So he's like back from the dead there. Yeah. <laughs> Every time I see a tweet about Joe Flacco, I always go to Ernie, Bert and Ernie with the unibrow. And it's the, it's just what I think of. I mean, I've lived with in Maryland. I had to put up with that guy for so long. No, don't want to do it again. But anyways, good stuff there. Hey, why don't you show everyone what's coming up on the call sheet this week and where they can find you on social media? Yeah, social media at KT Smith FFSN uh, on the call sheet this week. Right, we're gonna we're gonna take a look a, a little bit of, at the playoff race, just try try to make a little bit of sense out of it. But really looking uh, at what's happening with uh, the, the 49ers. Why why have they kind of hit their stride again? Why do they look like the most dominant team? Kind of breaking down a little bit of Shanahan's system and uh, and taking a little bit of a deep dive on why. That style of football has been really successful in San Francisco and, and some of the branches of that tree elsewhere in the league. Uh, so, you know, a little bit of the McVay-Shanahan offensive system and its success. Yeah, absolutely. I do want to tell the football fans out there that if you want to see some of Coach Kevin Smith's breakdowns, he just did one on the Pittsburgh Steelers and why their offense is struggling. It might not have been Matt Canada. You can go find that on our Steel Curtain Network YouTube channel. Just search uh, on YouTube Steel Curtain Network. He'll be doing some of those probably for the rest of the NFL on our Fans First Sports Network YouTube channel. And you can hear us on the Steel Curtain Network talking about the Steelers just by searching Steel Curtain Network or Steelers. You can find me on Twitter at jhartman, H-A-R-T-M-A-N underscore P-I-T. Coach, until next week, take it easy, man. You too. Thank you.